Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. As I finish off the three-part series that we've been talking about, inventory, uh, so far as you remember, we talked about part one, this, this growth inventory, because we've been away. And like I said, there, there are people who used to be part of our church coming out on Sundays, but now they just got comfortable. Some of them may be even lazy. Some of them have moved on from our church, which is fine, because hopefully we pray that they will find other community and get plugged in. But we've just been used to just kind of being lazy spiritually. So we need to take an inventory. Are we growing? If we're not, that's where we got to ask God for help and ask in repentance, depend on him. Last week, I talked about the generosity inventory to really see as we receive the generosity of God through the gospel, are we now living generously to those around us? Let me just share some quick testimonies. And I thought it was really encouraging. I was blessed when I heard these stories. First of all, I don't know if some of you heard, but uh, as we talked about last Sunday, we had our uh, city ministry kind of lunch and launch as they were launching the ministry. And I don't know if it was directly because of the message or the Holy Spirit moved their hearts, but we found out there was a handful of people who actually pitched it and bought the whole group lunch. And so I don't know who you are, and you sh- no one should know who you are because God knows who you are, and great will be your reward in heaven. But all I can say is this, is those types of testimonies of people who are hearing the word, obeying that word, and you see the blessings that will come. It is addictive. It is powerful. It will change your life. That is the power of the gospel of generosity, that when you're giving, you're the one who is receiving. Not only the blessings that you're receiving, but God gives you more because he goes, I could trust this guy. With thousands of thousands, of hundreds and thousands of Hong Kong dollars, they're using it for my kingdom. So what does he do? Is he going to be like, oh, I don't know if I want to give it to him. No, he will bless you even more because he could trust you. It's about stewardship. Some of us, he blesses us, but we keep it to it. And then he goes, no, you know, they're just going to use it for themselves. That's why the generosity principle, as you take this inventory, you realize that there's power in that. Uh, I shared uh, just a little bit about just some of the experiences I went through with generosity, and I don't know what it was. Once again, I don't know if it was the word that convicted people's hearts or they were just convicted by the Holy Spirit because they were just thinking about other things. And so this week, like every person, the people that I met, they bought me lunch, and then they were buying me coffee. And I'm like, maybe that's all I could talk about every single Sunday, you know, generosity, love God and love people. But I was so blessed this week because people were buying me lunch and dinners and uh, coffee. And I'm just like, no, I mean, but then I'm like, I want them to be blessed. I go, okay, I receive it. Be blessed. I don't want to steal your blessings. And so they were actually living out the generosity principle that we talked about. So I was so blessed to see that. Today, we're going to close out with part three. I'm going to talk about the grit inventory. And so I want to ask us, how many of you heard of the word grit? Can you go ahead and lift up your hands and show me that if you've heard that word before? Well, do you know what it means? You might have heard it, but do you know what it means? And so I'm going to be talking about that word grit all throughout my sermon. So I want to make sure that we're on the same page. We understand when you hear that word that you understand the way I'm using it. And we will then go to the official professionals, all right? The Cambridge Dictionary, once again, the school that some of you had longed for, but you did not, because God had another plan for you, another plan, all right? The Cambridge Dictionary defines grit as this. It is courage and determination despite difficulties. 
So it is this courage and determination despite, even though you are experiencing difficulties and hardships in your life. The Macmillan Dictionary defines it as this, determination to succeed even in very difficult situations. So it's not necessarily succeed in terms of being successful and a lot of money, but it's just being able to achieve that goal that you have set forth, being able to get to the other side. And so if you have grit, that means that you are determined to succeed and even in the midst of very difficult situations. So let me ask you again, and I'm going to ask it in a different way. And you don't have to answer. Just kind of think about this question. It's a rhetorical question. I'm just wondering how many of you in this room have grit. And one of the things that you will see as I look into Scripture is that grit is a very important principle, a biblical principle for us. This is the reason why some of us are not living according to the word because we're giving up too easily. Angela Lee Duckworth, some of you might have heard her name before, uh, the way she defines it, she defines it in a way that's a little bit more clearer in purpose due to her experience. Those of you who might not know her, she gave a TED Talk, and it was probably, I think, 9 million views, an incredible TED Talk in like six, little, little under seven minutes, like six minutes, 13 seconds. So that's what I'm trying to achieve right now, but I'm not going to do it. Anyway, so she gave a TED Talk, really brief TED Talk, but she packed it in there. And listen to uh, the story behind this. You have to understand, she is a psychologist. But the thing is that before she became a psychologist, she ended up becoming a seventh grade math teacher in the New York school system. Now, some of you are like, what's the big deal? Because you're not from the States. New York, Chicago, some of these other bigger cities, some of the public school system are not that great. It's not. And so therefore, as she was trying to reach out to people and better the society, she was teaching. And as she was teaching, she realized that IQ was not the only determinant factor for success. What she found out was this. She met so many different smart people, but that did not mean that they were going to succeed. So those of you who go to UST, HKU, and uh, okay, let's name it all, BU, CDU, right, and CU, uh, PolyU, I, I got you, I got you, you know, HKDI, if we have any more left, you're right, you're all your right side brain people, but let me just say this to you, because you have a high IQ does not guarantee you'll be successful, and I 100% agree with that. I've seen people graduate from Ivy League schools that are not very successful. So once again, it's not about IQ. So the question then became, then what is it? And she made this connection that regardless of the person, uh, person situation or background, the one consistent factor that determined a person's success was that they had grit. So when this realization happened, she actually wrote a book. And listen to what she said in this TED Talk. Uh, I, I was just jotting some things down. She says this, the ability to persevere in pursuing a future goal over a long period of time and not giving up. It is having stamina. It is sticking to your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. 
So when you think about this, you realize how true this is. How many of you started something and you've stopped? How many of us have decided, I'm going to set these goals and we haven't accomplished it? How many of you, even in your spiritual life, you were so excited at one point that now you're just kind of waning out? In her book, this is where her talk came out of as she wrote this book. In her book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, listen to what Duckworth shared. And she says it very succinctly. She says this, Grit is about working on something you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. I thought that was an excellent definition. She said, grit is about working on something that you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. So can I ask us, what do you care about so much? What are you so passionate about that no matter how difficult or setbacks that you face in your life, you continue to move forward because you know that this is God's call for you in your life? I think we live in a generation where it is so easy to give up and get discouraged. You can blame it on mental health. You can blame it on emotional health. You can blame it on a lot of stuff. But all I know is that we live in a generation where people give up too quickly. Things are too hard. And I'm not belittling mental health. I'm not belittling some of the emotional things, anxiety, and some of the other emotions that some of us feel. But bottom line is we don't know how to finish what we start. We, that's why if you look at our generation, we change jobs every half a year, even every year. And let me just tell you, that's really bad for your resume. If you're constantly moving around, if I'm, if I'm HR, I'm like, what happened? What's wrong with you? That's why you got to learn grit, not just for your Christian life, but to be a witness in the workplace, to be a witness wherever you go. Without grit, you're not going to succeed in life. And I don't know if you understand that this idea and principle, I don't know if she's a believer. I, I don't know if some of these people who teach on this topic, if they are believers in Christ. But all I know is this, that that idea of grit carries over into our Christian life. Why? Because there are many of us who do give up in our Christian journey. Some of you right now might be on the brink of just maybe just throwing it all away. I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore. I don't know if I want to continue to go to a life group anymore. I don't know if I want to continue to be a part of this community anymore. And all I can say is that there are so many passages in the Bible that talk about perseverance, endurance. It talks about how we finish the race. There's so much illustrations and imagery, metaphors that the scripture uses to talk about grit. I think this is why something like grit has to be taught. Listen to me carefully. It is not something that you just naturally gain. It has to be taught. That's the first thing. Second thing, it has to be taught at an early age. That doesn't mean that if you haven't learned it, that you can't learn it. You can't. But the thing about grit is that the longer you have gone through it, which is at a young age to where you are now, I'm telling you right now, you will have a greater success in your life. Now, I'm talking as this young being like five years old, which is true. But I look at all of you, you're still young. Turn to somebody next to you, you're young. All right? Okay, if that person is older, don't lie, okay? But say, you're young at heart, okay? That's how you got to do it, all right? You're young at heart. So listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Some of you... Some of you are, most of you are still young. And if you do not learn this, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some life things that are going to come your way. 
It's called marriage. I know it's kind of funny, but I'm not laughing because I'm telling you right now, it is so hard. If you don't believe me, look at your parents. Some of your parents come, you come from homes that are divorced, broken, dysfunctional. It's hard. Oh, we're going to be different. No, you're not. You're lying to yourself. Who are you? Are you that great? Do you have that kind of relational skill? Are you that patient? Are you like, are you Jesus? Jesus, here you are in flesh. You're not. I'm not. So I'm telling you right now, at a young age, right now, if you do not learn grit, then I don't even know for the next stage of your life, you're going to make it. And if you do make it, let me just say this. There's another stage called kids. And then not just kids, but teenage kids. So every stage prior to the stage you're in now that is hard, the thing is this, if you don't learn grit, if you don't develop grit, then you're going to struggle. And I don't even have to know you. I'm telling you right now, you will struggle because this is something that has to be developed. It is not something you naturally get. There's no spiritual gift of grit. You have to develop it. You have to be taught it. That's why if you don't have mentors, disciples, you might not even learn this. You're going to have to learn the hard way. It has to be taught, which means you have to learn, and then it has to be done at a young age. The earlier you do it, and the longer you practice grit, the more you're going to be successful in your life. I noticed that there are two groups of people who face the same situation and two different outcomes. And the only difference is they learned grit and they learned it at a young age. That's the difference. I'm outside of the grace of God. But when I look at two people going through the exact same thing, the way they respond is so different. And the distinguishing mark is that they learn grit at a young age. I'm going to show you this video because now people are catching on because they realize that if grit is something that has to be taught and something that you have to learn at a young age, then what they decided to do, some of the school systems, they decided to try to implement the teaching on grit while the kids are still in elementary school, which I think is a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. So just like reading and writing is like some of the basic skills, now some of the schools, especially in the United States, I don't know if they're doing it here yet, but in the United States, they are actually trying to teach young kids at a young age this idea and concept of grit. And so what you're going to see now is something that they're trying to implement in some of the schools. So let's watch this together. Here's a 10-year-old who's doing what he's doing. And can I just be completely forthright with all of you? The problem in Asia, and I'm not saying all, the problem with Asia is that your parents... And if you're a parent, we have a tendency to spoil our kids. We do everything for them. So they don't know how to fail because they fear failure. Some of you have parents who don't like failure. They will yell at you when you don't do well, not only in school, but with music, sports. So you've learned how to protect yourself, and it's all about trying to succeed but the problem is you're not because you haven't developed grit. That's why more of you start something and don't finish it because you're like, oh, I'm not going to make it anyway or it's not going to work out anyway, and you give up. 
Do you see how this carry over into the Christian life? Because the Bible is very clear that this Christian life is not easy. And if you don't know how to develop this grit in your life by the grace of God, some of you are not going to persevere to the end. It's not all on you, and we'll talk about this, but it is working with you because you cannot just sit there and say, God, then give me grit. You got to do your part. It's about human responsibility. So I do pray that as we get ready for next week, as we start the 50 days of campaign of freedom, that it will be something that we understand and we take an inventory. Do I have grit? If I don't, God, help me to develop this because I'm going to need this for the rest of my life. I was thinking about this. Why is grit, uh, grittiness, why is grittiness or having a grit so important to the Christian life? So as I was sitting there trying to think through this, I, I, I just quickly came up with a handful of reasons why having grit as a Christian is so very important. The first thing is this, following Christ is hard. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen? Following Christ is hard. If it was easy, everyone would be a Christian. It is hard. Everyone say, it is very difficult to be a Christian. Come on, say that. It is very difficult to be a Christian. It is. So if anyone tells you otherwise, tell them you're lying. It is one of the most difficult things to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there's joy. There's uh, great experiences, but it is very difficult. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 through 39. It says, whoever loves uh, father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not what? Take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, you got to take up your cross every single day and follow Jesus, and it's hard. Following Jesus is hard. That's why we got to develop this grit. The second thing I jotted down was life will be filled with difficulties. That's just a fact. And if you don't know this, you've been spoiled and protected by your parents and for whatever other people around you. And I'm telling you right now, if you face the reality of life, it is going to be difficult and hard and it's going to be harsh. Some of you are going to get burned. Some of you are going to get, as Pastor Bowles, broken hearted. Some of you are going to face it. You're going to be swindled. You're going to be scammed. You're going to go through things in life that you're going to be like, why me? I'm telling you before you go through it, life it's difficult, and the Bible talks about that. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you uh, all this so that you may have peace in me, Jesus speaking. Here on earth, what does it say? You will have many trials and sorrow. This is Jesus telling these disciples, this is a fact. In this world, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because why? Jesus has overcome the world. Praise God for that. Amen. I don't know how anyone can live this life with all the difficulties without Jesus Christ. It's just human strength. It's about their own willpower, and you're not going to succeed. You're going to literally be crushed under the weight of the difficulties you're going to face. The third reason is this. Why is grit important? Because it helps to build character and Christ-likeness in us. That's why grit is important. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I've read this before, but it says this. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develop perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete. When you become mature, the, the word is perfect. And the only perfect person is Jesus, which means that you are going to become more like Jesus Christ as you go through the trials in your life. 
So the reason why grit is important instead of giving up is that it's the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ and working on your character. Number four is that God is glorified when we are steadfast in difficulties. Another reason why we need grit in our lives, in our walk with God, is that it glorifies God when we are steadfast in the difficulties that we face. Some of you have missed so many opportunities to glorify God because you're complainers. I kept on, I keep on mentioning that there is no glory when you go through something, you complain, you complain, you complain, and then God delivers you. Oh, praise God. God is such a good God. There's no glory in that. But there is glory when you face something difficult. It's like, it's hard, but I'm going to trust in God. Hey, can you guys pray for me? Because I'm going, I'm struggling, but I want to have faith that God is going to work out all things for my good and for his glory. And then God answers the prayer that you lift up and the prayers that these people lift up. And then who, who receives all the glory? It's God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. It says, all of this is for your benefit. And this is Paul talking about that he's gone through suffering and difficulties. He goes, all of this is for your benefit. And he says this, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will what? Come on. Receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. You don't give up because God is receiving more and more glory. If you're set on glorifying God, that means that when you go through difficulties in your life, that you will want to have grit because God is going to be glorified. The last thing is this. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's the last thing, but the only five things I was thinking about here, these are pretty broad categories, is that we become a witness for God. Not only do we glorify God, we become a witness. People are going to be like, what's wrong with you? You're so different. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to what it says. Read the yellow section. It says this. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about what? Your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So when you go through difficult times, what happens? All the, gods, all the churches of God, they're, they're boasting because it becomes a witness that look at that person. It's not them, but it's the power of God working in them. So it becomes a witness to those people who are struggling and they're able to trust in God. But can I just say this? I know some of you are like, okay, where are we going with this? I'm, I'm, I'm methodically building my case, kind of like Johnny Depp, uh, Depp is, you know, I am building my case. Hopefully some of you know what's going on. So I'm like, oh, Caribbean, uh, you know, fires, a new one coming out? No, you, you haven't been paying attention, okay? Some of these lawyers were good. They were, they're building their case. I'm like, uh-huh. Pay attention. But you have to keep this in mind, that there is a difference between biblical grit and the worldly sense of grit. Let me just put it this way. Worldly grit is about striving and trying harder. That's the worldly grit. You got to keep on trying. Oh, you feel, just keep on trying. So it's all about human emphasis, human focus. But biblical grit, the reason why this is different, and I'm going to expound it today in this passage, is that it's about having faith and abiding in God's promises so that we have hope to continue as we learn how to depend on God. That is the difference between worldly grit and biblical grit because we, it's about faith and abiding in God and his promises that he has given unto us already so that we have this hope now to continue on. We're not gonna give up. We're gonna continue on because it's based on a hope that is founded on the promises of God. So that's why we're going to have faith and we're going to keep on abiding. 
So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we can build up our grittiness as we trust in God's faithfulness. All right, we're going to talk about learning how to be gritty. Everyone say gritty. Not greedy, but gritty, all right? So we can build up our grittiness as we trust in God's faithfulness. Two things I'm going to talk about. I, hopefully, you've, if you're following along in the church app and the notes, uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start all the way from verse 32. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And can, can I just say this? We're, we're going to read sections at a time so that we can understand what it is that God is trying to say to us. So you could read it up here. If you don't have a Bible, you could just kind of follow along with me. And so this is what the Word of God says. I, before we read it, just, just have it open, have it there. I want to talk about how we can build up this grittiness in us as we fully trust in God's faithfulness. Now, there's going to be a couple things we have to understand about that, if break it down. The first thing is this. We have to know and we have to practice the recollection of God's faithfulness. That's the first thing. It's about our recollection of God's faithfulness. Before I read the passage, I want to give you a little bit of a context of where this passage is coming from. If you look at chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he starts off chapter 10, and he's talking about Christ's sacrifice and how that's far superior than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Because what happened was in the sacrifices of the Old Testament, as they were killing the animals for the forgiveness of sins, they had to do it every single time for their sins to be forgiven. And they would do it in that once a year, Yom Kippur. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is arguing, listen, Christ sacrificed by being sacrificial, shedding his blood is far superior. It is supreme, greater than any other sacrifice. That's what he's arguing for all throughout and even in chapter 10. And then we come to verse 22. That's not the verse we're going to be reading, but in verse 22, and he talks about how now because of this great sacrifice, we have this confidence to boldly draw near to God. We don't have to, we have full assurance to draw near to God. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to wonder, does he accept us? Does he love us? We can boldly enter into the presence of God and draw near to him because of the sacrifice. And then in verse 24 through 25, you know what he says? He reminds people, this great sacrifice, now we're going to approach God boldly. And then he says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So there's this aspect of believing in this gospel message, what Jesus has done, and then now you are spurring one another, helping other people to understand the importance of this. So right after this, the writer of Hebrews gives this warning about deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth. So once again, the greatest sacrifice, because of that we could enter boldly into the presence of God, let's spur on one another towards love and good deeds. But he says, those of you who know the truth and you blatantly disobey, he says, there's gonna be judgment upon you. So in the midst of this, as people are reading this and they're hearing this, they're probably thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, I'm one of those guys. I believe in the gospel message, but then I've been living in willful sin. This is where we come to verse 32 to 39. Because once again, think about this for a moment. There are now people struggling with sin. There are people who are kind of wrestling through with their walk with God. And so he gives this message in verse 32 to 39 that I think is really important. So let's read verse 32 to 34 first. This is what the word of God says. But what, say that word, recall, so the recollection, it says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. 
and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Let's just pause here, and I want to talk about this. This is important. So the writer of Hebrews starts off this section by saying, recall the former days. Now, it is a clear appeal for the believers to look back and to remember and to recollect all that they have been through and so that they can remember that God has been faithful to them. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Recall, remember, in like those earlier years. So, Let's look at some of the different translations of verse 32 to give you more insights. The Living Bible says this, and will you say the yellow sections with me? Don't ever forget those wonderful days. So don't forget those days when you were walking with God and you were enjoying just his presence. When you first learned about Christ, remember how you what? Kept right on with the Lord, even though it meant what? Terrible suffering. I'm wondering how many of you guys remember those days when things were hard? but you didn't care because your relationship with Jesus, it was so sweet. The New Living Translation says this. It says, one, two, three, think back on those early days. So you got to think back to those times when you had a close relationship with Jesus. When you first learned about Christ, remember how what? You remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Like some of us just totally forgot when things were hard, where you could think back now and you're like, wow, God was really faithful. And I remember the joy that I felt. I remember just wanting to read the Bible. I remember wanting to pray. I remember just wanting to share the gospel with as many people as possible. Here's another translation, the New International Version. It says this, remember those early years, earlier days after you had received the light when you what? Stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. You didn't waver. You, st- you stood your ground because you remember how good and sweet the gospel was. What was it about recollecting and remembering about God and those early years, the early days in our faith that helped us to believe that we had this grit and perseverance because we believed it? I would say that it was because things were more simple then. I think right now, some of our lives are very complicated. Because back then, in the earlier days, in the earlier years, it was really about just loving God and loving people. It was so simple. And that's why when you think about those earlier years, it brings back good memories because it was really about what you were receiving from God and you wanted to bless other people and live for his name. You started obeying what the word of God says. I'm wondering how many of us in this room, we have complicated this Christian life more than we like to confess to and admit to. We're now more focused on how we present ourselves to other people. That wasn't the case when you first became a Christian. All you knew is you didn't even know how to pray. God, here I am. And people are like, whoa. But now you're like, Father, thou art in heaven. Like you are so concerned about what other people think about you. You're complicating things. That's why some of you have forgotten those early years. Some of us are more focused on serving and doing things for God than rather than being the child of God. So you're complicating things. You make things more than it really is. 
For some of us, we're more worried about things in life now than we were a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, whatever, however long. And so for many of us, we are struggling in our Christian life. It's because we have made things more complicated than what it was in those earlier days when things were so simple, when we were just singing songs and we were worshiping, worshiping God. And I think this is the reason why it's so easy to lose our first love. Go ahead and raise your hand if you want to. But uh, how many of you guys remember your first love? Okay, no one does that. This is a shame culture, so let me take that back. Uh, let me take that back. Okay, don't raise your hand then, okay? Just smile, look like it doesn't even relate to you, all right? Uh, do you remember your first puppy love? And why did they call it puppy love? I don't, I don't even know why. I should have looked it up because they look like it's cute and you're like, oh, that kind of thing. Maybe that's why. But anyway, my first one came when I was in fourth grade. This is now a confession. Her name, Jolene. But there was a problem. She was in fifth grade. So I was going for older women back in fourth grade. And I, I don't know what it was. It just, she just mesmerized me. And I was only, what, in fourth grade, so nine years old. And I just remember, because even though it was a fourth, fifth grade, we were in the same room, but it was sectioned off. And I just remember just, just looking at her. But I was shy, so I kind of looked, and I looked away. But this is the creepy part. One day I decided to follow her home. So this is the early days of stalking, right? This, was, this would have been bad. All I knew was that some of the friends she hung out with, they lived in the same apartment complex that was about two blocks away from me. So because she was in the same vicinity and direction, I just started walking and followed her. And there were a couple times she would stop and look back and talking to her friends. And then I would stop. You know how that stalking thing works, right? And then I would be like, and then she continued and I would continue to follow. But it, nothing happened, okay? Let's just be clear. But I remember that that was like really my first crush in fourth grade. Jolene. <laughs> Don't worry, my wife knows. But anyway. A fifth grader when I was only in fourth grade. And it was something about it that was so innocent, that was so pure. That's why first love is such a, it's such a powerful thing because it makes an impact on your life. Do you remember Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5? Jesus says this, yet I hold this against you. You have what? Forsaken your first love. Remember or recollect, reconsider the height from which you have fallen. And it says what? Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, the thing is this. When you have this first love, you're willing to go through anything. He mentions about going through suffering such as insults, persecutions, even the uh, taking of property. They endured all these things because of this eternal perspective in this earlier days. As it says in verse 34, you accepted it with joy. 
you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. For each of these moments of suffering and hardships, they knew that something greater was to come. That's why they could endure it because of something that's greater, something that's more lasting. And the thing about this is that as they were going through the suffering and the difficulties, they knew the faithfulness of God and it helped them in those situations. And can I ask us, I'm just wondering how many of us, when we think about our first love, when we first experienced the gospel message and we understood what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, somewhere along the line, have you forgotten Somewhere in the midst of doing all the stuff for God, you have complicated things rather than going back to the simple thing of just loving and worshiping Jesus. I remember those times when I would just pull out a guitar or go on the piano and I would just sing love songs to Jesus. And inspired by whatever words or things that were images coming out, I would just like sing those things. I'm wondering if some of us have lost that. And that's why right now when you're going through something difficult, you want to give up. You want to just throw in the towel and say, you know what, forget it. I surrender. I, I, I give up. Rather than say, no, let me, let me pause here and let me recollect God's faithfulness. That even though I've been up and down in my relationship with him, he has been constant. He has been faithful to me. Because that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is challenging the believers. Recall the earlier days. Remember the earlier days that you were so joyful, even though people were persecuting you, insulting you, they were taking away your property, that you still rejoiced. Why? Because you knew something greater was to come. Do we have this in our lives? I'm just wondering if some of us are on the verge of giving up. When was the last time you recollected the faithfulness of God? We can build up our grittiness as we trust in God's faithfulness. That's why there has to be a recollection of his faithfulness. That's the first thing. The second point is this. Our recollection of God's faithfulness is not the only thing, but the second thing is this, the reliance upon God's faithfulness. So you got to recollect, and now you got to start relying upon the faithfulness of God. Let's finish off and read verse 35 through 39. This is what the word of God says. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the one coming, or the coming one, will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, my righteous one, shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and pres uh, preserve their soul. When you read this passage in, in the last portion of this, I want you to focus on that phrase, do not throw away your confidence. It's very important. In fact, it's so important. I'm going to try to help you to see this in different translations. The Amplified Version says this, do not therefore what? Come on, say this. Fling away your fearless confidence for it has a glorious and great reward listen to what the voice translation says remember this and what do not abandon your confidence which will lead to rich rewards and the living bible says this do not let this happy trust in the lord die away no matter what happens remember your reward 
The expanded Bible says this, so do not lose or throw away the courage you had in the past or your confident trust in God or your boldness, which has a great reward. See, this confidence that the writer of Hebrew is talking about is that trust that the believers had in God and the hope that was theirs because Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross and the resurrection of, from the dead. That's why they were so certain. That's why they were so confident. That's why they were so bold. That's why they didn't, they didn't want to throw it away. So here's the writer of Hebrews says, do not let it die away. Do not lose that. Do not abandon it. Do not fling it away. Do not throw away your confidence. This confidence that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, once again, is when you trust in God and what he did through Jesus Christ and Jesus rose from the dead. That is where our confidence lies. So isn't it amazing that the great confidence and hope that we had at one time can easily be thrown away or casted away? Or some of us, we go back to the old way of life. Can I just speak to some of you who are in that situation right now? Some of you have decided to go back to your old way of life. The last couple of years, you were trying to live for Jesus. You were serving and doing all this stuff. But whatever, right now in your life, you're going back, hanging out with the same group of people that were not the best influence for you. Some of you are going back to some of these old lifestyles that you had before and you're feeling this more oppression in your life. Some of you are going back to certain things that were not helpful for you, that God delivered you from. Now you're going back into it. And that's why the guilt begins to build upon yourself and you're asking yourself, why do I have to go through this? And to those of us who are in that situation, I want to just encourage you with what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Because if you look at verse 35, the last portion of it, this is the reason why we should not lose our sense of confidence. It's because simply why? It is this great reward. See, the reason why some of us give up and we don't have the grit is because we forget about this great reward that will be awarded to us when we put our trust in Jesus and faith in what is to come after this world. I hope all of us can at least come to a point where this world will not last forever. I am not going to live forever here on this earth. So when you think about your life, how long it is, maybe you're going to live to 80, 90, you know, the Queen Elizabeth, she's living a long time, you know. Uh, you might think, oh, maybe I'll live to about 80 or 90. But those 50 years or those 60 years, it's going to go by so quick. And so here we are thinking about ourselves and I'm asking you this question. Why do we forget about the great reward that is to come? So once again, here I am crafting my message, and I was sitting there, and I go, why did I lose that confidence in my walk with God? Why is it that as I'm counseling so many people who are on the brink of just giving up and they're struggling in their walk with God, why did they lose that? And I came up with some reasons to help you if some of these things are true for you. The first thing is this, the alliance with the world where you have forsaken the world to follow Christ, but now you're making an alliance once again. Some of you are going into the things of this world again. You have broken that off when you remember those early years and the faithfulness of God, but now you're making alliances with the world again. Maybe some of your ambition before you were willing to surrender your greed. Now you're like, give me, give me more stuff. And yeah, 
Some of you check your phone all the time because of stock market. I'm not against that. I think that's, that's fine. But once again, you're more concerned about that than how you're doing in your walk with God. So because of your allegiance or your alliance with the world, now everything about the reward in heaven, it doesn't mean anything to you. Here's another one, abandonment of purpose. Some of us have forgotten the purpose of what it is that God has called you to do. You've completely abandoned it. And I don't know what it's going to take for God to wake you up to realize this is why I created you. It is not to live for yourself. It's not for your own fame. It's not for your own glory. It's not about materialism. It's about my kingdom. Some of you right now, you're struggling and you want to give up in your journey with God. Why? Because you have abandoned the God-given purpose that he has given to you. Here's another one. It's the absence of results. Some of you give up so quickly because you don't see results. You read the Bible, you pray, you come out to life group, you do all this stuff, and no results. You're not changing. So you get so discouraged. You're like, you know what? Forget it. I mean, think about it. The reason why it is not about results, not that God doesn't care about results, but it's not about results because when there are results, it's easy to take pride in what we do. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen to that? That's why oftentimes you might not see results until many years later because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about his glory. And there are times when you have nothing to do with it and there's fruit and results. And you're like, I had nothing to do with it. Exactly, that's the point. You had nothing to do with it. But some of us, we give up so quickly because what? We don't see results. This is what I see all the time with leaders. If they don't see life, their life changing, if they don't see the people they're spending time with, I go, why do you then spend time with people? Because you want to receive glory for yourself that you're an awesome leader? Sometimes you need to experience zero fruit to wake you up that it's not about you. So if your whole life is about results, I do X and then I get Y. I do Y, I get Z. I'm telling you right now, you are on the verge. You're probably going to get discouraged and depressed and give up. Because the Bible clearly teaches, even though you don't see the fruits here on this earth, there will be a great reward. What if the only thing God has called you to do is to witness to that one person and you don't even see them come to know Christ? It's after you die and then that person comes to Christ. You might think that you're a failure, but if you know that it's what God desires for you to do, then you can rejoice because you have done faithfully. You're going to be that person who hides that one talent because you like, I was scared. Rather than doing the things that God has called you to do. So it's not about, about results. God will bring the results. He's the one who could bring results. But it's not our responsibility. We faithfully do what he has called us to do. And then your reward will be in heaven. That's when you won't be discouraged. So alliance with the world, abandonment of purpose, absence of results, afraid of others' opinion. This is another reason why so many of you want to give up. And so many of you don't have the grit. Because you care more about what your parents say to you and about you than what God says to you and about you. You care more about what your friends say to you and about you more than what God says to you and about you. This is the reason why some of us are struggling because you're so afraid of other people's opinion of you when you can be secure to know that it doesn't even matter what you think because it's what about, the most important thing is what God says about me. And I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I'm the apple of his eye, that he has redeemed me, that he has purchased me with his blood. So I don't have to be afraid of anyone's opinion. 
You could kill me, but I know that I will die and go to heaven and I could be secure in that. But some of you are waffling in your walk with God. You're thinking about, well, maybe I should give up or maybe I shouldn't, I don't know, go to life group or I shouldn't maybe do this because I'm hearing all this stuff. And some of you get so influenced by other people's opinion that you don't have any backbone. You don't know how to stand firm, stand your ground and not throw away, abandon, toss out the things that God has already spoken to you about because there is great reward that's coming. Number five, apathy. Some of you are apathetic, and I'm telling you right now, one of the reasons for apathy is comfort. Some of you are apathetic because you are too comfortable. You cannot be apathetic when things are not comfortable. Can I get a good amen? Do you believe that? Amen? You don't believe me. Let me say it again. You cannot be apathetic when you're going through discomfort and difficulties. Some of you avoid all difficulties and struggles and discomfort. I'm not going to pick on some of you, but some of you come from different countries where everything is done for you. You have an app for that. You never had to struggle. You never had to really do things where it's discomforting or things that you don't want to do, but you would do it because your love for God, your love for people. That's why when I look at certain types of people, I realize, yeah, it's, it's clear because of your background. I'm not saying being comfortable is a bad thing in and of itself. But if that's all you choose, there's two paths. This is the more comfortable one, but there's going to be less blessings. But this is hard. Oh, it's too hard. But there's a lot of blessings, but it's too hard. And you keep on choosing comfort in your life because that's all you care about. I'm telling you right now, you will become apathetic and you will not finish this race apart from the grace of God. Some of you don't like it when your leaders or, I don't know, the people you're doing LCG with, your disciples, when sometimes they tell you hard things you don't want to hear. It makes you uncomfortable. You don't like it. You're being exposed. And guess what? You go, you know what? No, thank you. Thank you, but no, thank you. And see where you go. You don't grow that much that year, that summer. But look at some of these other people who are in relationship with people who love them, who are willing to speak the truth to them, walking with them, helping them, and they're the ones who are growing. We get apathetic also when we start realizing our sinful nature and we just give up. We become cynical and we say, you know what? I'm not going to change. So you just become apathetic. Then who are you putting your hope in? You're putting your hope in yourself. You're looking at yourself rather than looking up to God. And the last one that I jotted down was attention deficit. Huh. You are so distracted. Like every single day, you're distracted by something or someone. No wonder you want to give up so quickly. No wonder you forget about the great reward. Because if you're going to be able to live for something that's greater, then you're going to be focused. Some of you right now, you are giving up quickly, and you don't have grit and perseverance and determination because you're so distracted. It's constantly, you're like, huh, huh, huh. You, you're that person when someone's talking to you and someone walks by, you're like, huh, huh. Oh, oh sorry, say, yeah, huh. Oh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, what were you saying? Oh, that's you. And they may ask you, if you've been on the other side, how many of you guys enjoy that? No. And here's God, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for you. And he's trying to get your attention because what he does is he, he loves you. He has a plan for you. And you're constantly distracted by the things of this 
girl. Oh my God, what, what, what is she up to? What, what is she doing? I'm going to do, do the same thing better. Oh my God, what are they doing? You're distracted. Oh my God, they got married. Oh my God, they have family. Oh my God, look at that. Distraction. That's why I want to encourage you. We don't just do this one desire fast. Turn off your social media and see in one week and see what your life will be like. There will be less anxiety, less mental health issues. Some of you will feel greater joy in your life. Even secular people who don't know Jesus know this and they do it. How much more for us when the Bible says fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But your eyes are not on Jesus. It's on everything else. That's why in verse 36, the writer of Hebrews exhorts the believers that they need to endure. Here you are, when you go through all this stuff, he's saying, don't throw it away. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because there's going to be a great reward. And then he encourages them, you got to endure. Message translation of verse 36. But you need to what? Say it. Stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be, Drake thought he got this. I'm telling you right now, God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. God's plan, right here. <laughs> Stick it out. The Amplified Version, listen to what it says. For you have need of what? Patient endurance to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. And lastly, the Living Bible is translation. Read the yellow section with me. It says this. You need to keep on what? Patiently doing God's will if you want him to do for you all, for you all that he has promised. Patiently doing. Because that means you might not see fruits. That means that you're going to get distracted, but you patiently focus and you do the will of God. That's why I think it's interesting. He closes out by giving two Old Testament scriptures and he quotes it. And he uses those uh, verses to apply it to perseverance. The first passage comes from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 21, where he talks about, you know, God is not going to delay. Don't give up. He's, he's going to come for sure. And he's using this passage because to remind the believers that they need to wait patiently a little bit longer because the certainty of God's promise of coming back. I think for many of us, we've lost this hope that everything that Jesus talked about, we just kind of throw out the window. But this is where perseverance comes in as God empowers you. Wait a little bit longer. Keep on trusting. Keep on asking. Keep on abiding. And then if you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, I thought this was interesting. This comes earlier than 32 through 39. This comes earlier. And listen to what he said earlier. Let us hold unswervingly to what? The hope we profess. For he who promised is what? Who is he? He is faithful. So we don't hold on to these empty dreams and all this other stuff that's not true, but we hold on to him who is what? Faithful. He will be faithful. And then the second passage that he quotes is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. And he uses this reference to support the principle that those who are made righteous by God and trust in him, they will live by faith. When you know that it's God, not, not only God who saved you, but it's God who is going to sustain you, 
then you will be able to fully trust him and live by faith as you go through the difficult times. How about us this morning? What or where are you putting your reliance upon? Are you throwing away your confidence? Have you forgotten about the promise of God's reward? Is your alliance with the world, your uh, just abandonment of the purpose that God has given you, the absence of results, afraid of other people's opinion, just your apathy, whatever it may be, your attention deficit, has they, have those things pulled you away from trusting in God? I think this is why we're going to turn back to Jesus in the gospel. I thought it was interesting because if you look at the book of Jude, you will notice that there's almost this doxology and talking about that it's not you, but it's going to be God who's going to work in you. But he also gives some pointers that I think is really important because look at what it says. And let me close with this as I give some next steps afterwards. Listen to what it says. It says, but you, dear friends, what does he say? Come on. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the spirit. So when you're going through difficult things, he's giving us some practical things here. Build yourself up by what? In your faith and also pray. And then in verse 21, it says, keep what? Yourselves in God's love. See, when you stray away from God's love or you forget about his love, then you're gonna struggle. But it says, keep or remain in God's love. And then what? Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And it says what? Be what? Merciful. To those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them to show mercy. So what he's saying is there's going to be so many other people who are struggling, so reach out to them, love them. And then look, look at what it says in closing. Do we, have, do we have, I think, the next verse? We'll get it. And this is the part I want to share that you need to understand. It says, to him who is what? Who's able you're not able to try to persevere. It says, to him who's able, which is God, to keep you from what? Falling. For keep you from getting apathetic. For keep you from losing your attention. To keep you from totally abandoning your purpose. Who will keep you from falling. And what will he do? Present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And to what? Only God, our Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. We're going to be studying this passage this coming week, and I, I just want to encourage us. As we look at this, this tells us about the gospel. You cannot save yourself. You cannot try to persevere on your own, but it's to him who is able. So we turn to him. How awesome and glorious is he that he went all the way to the cross, rose again from the dead, so that now if we trust in him, we will rely upon him, that we will believe in his faithfulness to us, then we can develop this grittiness that we need in our lives. So I'm going to close with some next steps. I'm going to, as I'm thinking about this, I was just thinking, okay, let's make it very practical. So I'm going to give you six skills, and it's going to be gritty. All right? Are you with me? The first thing is this. you got to gain perspective Sometimes I, I, I get easily distracted. I need to put my hope on the eternal reward. You got to gain perspective of your situation. So many of you, 
How many, okay, let me ask it this way. This is better. Instead of saying, are you? It's like, how many of you know of a drama king or a drama queen? Raise your hand. See, more hands are going up, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, that's probably you, okay? If you don't know anyone else, drama king or drama queen, that's you, okay? You're, you're the drama king and the drama queen. Like every single time something, oh my God, oh my God. Relax. God, God's still in control. And you think that's so bad? Let's gain some perspective. What are some things you can learn from this? How is it humbling you? How does it teach you more about God's love, God's mercy? So one of the first things you got to do is learn how to gain some perspective in the difficult situation you're facing. That's the G. The R is this. Remember your why. Remember your purpose. You saw that video of these little kids, you know, raising their hand and doing all this stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, you got to remember your why. Because when you remember your why, you're able to endure. When you forget your why, then you want to give up. Remember your why. It's because of Jesus and about his kingdom. So the G is what? Come on, say this with me. Perspective situation. The R is remember your why. The I is this intentionality with your goals. Part of learning how to endure is that you have this goal, but then you're very intentional. Sometimes you just take little steps. Don't give up on that dream. Don't give up on your walk with God. Take little steps at a time. Be intentional. Make it happen by God's grace as he strengthens you. And the T is think about your imagined reality. A lot of times we give up on what is to be and what, why you decided to do it. So sometimes you got to think and remind yourself of that. Oh, yeah, this is why. Because I love Jesus and I want to become more like him. It could be a, a goal for what you want to do by the age of 30. I don't know. Whatever goal you have set is remember, think about your imagined reality. This is, this is what I'm imagining, that I'm going to become what I'm going to do. I pray that it was in line with the kingdom of God. The other T is this. Talk to someone who inspires you. Because there will be people who tell you negative things. But find people who inspire you. And that doesn't mean they always tell you nice things. But you look at their life. You look at things that they're speaking truth into your life. If they inspire you, I want to encourage you to talk to them. Because it's so easy to get discouraged and want to give up. But you build grit when you start talking to other people who have gone through a lot of stuff. But they're able to endure. So talk to people who inspire you. And the why is this, yield the results to God. Don't be focused so much on, oh, am I doing this right? Or am, am I seeing the fruits? Give the results to God. Just be faithful to the things that he has shown you and you will know. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.